Munoz and welcome to another episode of 90% Mental Ultra Distance Paddling Adventures. The 2022 Ultra Endurance Paddling season has come to an end and that makes me really sad, but it's been really fun to follow along the events and all the racers. Before we finish up, there is one race left on the calendar that is really one of its kind. On December 3rd at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Greg Wingo, race director for the Alabama 650 and owner of Rome Projects, will hold the first inaugural Last Paddler Standing at Benderson Park in Sarasota, Florida. Last Paddler Standing is a race of stamina and strategy, an endurance junkie's dream, but there's a twist. Instead of a long course that changes as you go, this course is just a 3.33 mile loop starting every hour on the hour. You basically stay in the race until you fail to complete the loop in 60 seconds or less. I'll say I raced stand-up for years, and I would have loved to attempt this race back in my prime sub times. There are still spots left if this kind of challenge sparks your interest. Link is in the episode description. Let's catch up with Greg and recap the 2022 AL650 and discuss this year's last paddler standing event. Hey, good morning. How have you been? Good, nonstop. Uh, moving on from one big event to the next big event. Uh, so, but yeah, things have been good. And, um, you know, I think uh, Alabama 650 was extremely successful this year. And uh, everybody seemed to really enjoy themselves. And, and so, you know, I, I got a little bit of sleep. Uh, a couple days after it was over and then turned my attention to the next thing. Nice. So speaking of events, you're part of uh, a bigger kind of, I guess maybe you'd call it an organization or something that you own um, where you run these different events. So talk a little bit about that, the Rome Projects. Yeah. So um, my company, Rome Projects, is an outdoor recreation company, you know, we do a lot of different things. um, But I would say what we're best known for is these uh, races that we're putting on uh, specifically in the paddling world. And, um, you know, we do some other things. We do some some uh, hiking and running tours in Europe and uh, some content creation for tourism boards uh, throughout the southeastern United States. Um, but mostly what we're known for is the um, the paddling races. And so, uh, yeah, so this is finishing up year four, going into year five of Great Alabama 650, and then uh, launching the first edition of Last Paddler Standing this December, and then likely uh, a third race to be uh, announced at a later date coming up in uh, 2023. That sounds really exciting. I know I had a lot of fun for all the listeners out there. Um, Not only have I competed in the Alabama 650 uh, two years in a row, this this year rather for the fourth annual, I got to be a part of the staff, which was really exciting. Um, Got to travel down the race and see it from a different perspective. And it was just, I mean, I already knew the Alabama scenic river trail is absolutely beautiful, but seeing it 
from another angle, being able to follow the racers on land or by land, um, and be able to camp at some of the spots and kind of see the whole thing from, from the land aspect of it. It was just so much fun. Yeah. And I, you know, here to pat you on the back for a second, for sure, which is, you know, I couldn't have called this the most successful year without you and, and the staff that we had doing such a great job this year. Um, you know, I think that something that's often, you know, maybe a little lost in, in all of these great races is, um, is the staff themselves. I think we, we always do a good job of, of, you know, promoting and talking about and lifting up the racers. And, and I think we even do a pretty good job of doing that for volunteers as well. We know the value of, of volunteers and, um, but oftentimes, you know, staff that are, you know, giving up their lives as well to, to be there for an event, um, are just critical. We can't, we can't do it without great staff. And so this was, uh, I know that I said this to you guys and, and I really meant it, which is, uh, this was by far the you know easiest staff that I've ever you know had for one of these races. Everybody knew exactly what to do and did a great job and got along well. And um, I'm sure I'm sure we can talk about some of the different ways that we all got along well uh, throughout the the ten days. But you know you were instrumental in uh, our media coverage for the race, and so. Uh, you know, I, I would love to hear you kind of talk about what it's like to be on, I guess, the other side of the camera, um, you know, in something like this, because, um, you know, because I think a lot of people don't even really know, you know, what, what it all entails to be on staff for something like this. Yeah, for, uh, first of all, thank you. And again, for the opportunity, it was definitely really fun. I mean, obviously, uh, on staff, I had nothing to compare it to. So for me, it was, it was a really smooth experience. Uh, I really didn't know exactly what to expect, uh, especially because, you know, being on media, you got to use your, your phone camera and your videoing and the service starts to get really spotty the further South you go. So it was, it was kind of fun and challenging, you know, getting the video and then having to go find a service area and upload. And um, it definitely was, it, it takes a lot of work. Um, it, it's, you know, you got to drive, um, but it's nothing, you know, it's, it's not, it's totally doable and it's, it's fun. Um, at the very beginning, it's exciting because you get to see all the racers, you know, more together um, everyone's not quite spread out as much yet, uh, except for a couple of the front runners. But for those first two portages, you're really, you really have everyone kind of closer together. So you're able to get a lot of film. And then as you move further down the race, it becomes, uh, you know, more difficult. You got to be watching the tracker, uh, make sure that you're able to film everyone, uh, be inclusive. Cause you know, you've got some people that are, like a day behind and uh it what i think really worked well with this staff was that since the staff was spread out uh it really helped from a media standpoint because they were able to let's say you know one of the staff members was back back at the previous portage and you moved on to the next one and one of the people bringing up the back, you know, was coming in, then they could film them and then send it to me so that I wouldn't have to drive all the way back. So, 
Um, and then once you got further down the race, like I said, and things get spread out, uh, it becomes a lot more mellow and I got to enjoy the campsites and talk to some of the volunteers, which by the way, the volunteers in this race are just absolutely lovely. You can tell, I mean, hence the fact that they're volunteers, I, you really feel like they actually want to be there and they're really excited. And then being able to just, you know, driving down through each community and you start making connections with the community, whether it be someone at an art shop or a coffee shop or a lunch spot, um, and then you get to talking to them about the race because we're all wearing our red shirts and people are curious. And it was really, really fun. Like if I wasn't going to race next year, I would do it again. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, to, to a couple of your points in there, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like a race within the race. Um, you know, we, we have our own strategy that's occurring throughout the race in terms of, you know, where staff members need to go and, and who needs to be paying attention to what's occurring during the race. And, um, and by design, this is all done by a very small staff. I think that um, there's a, maybe a little bit of a misconception that, you know, there's some huge staff that's working these 10 days, but it's not it's you know it's a small number of us that are that are doing this and um you know and so it can get very grueling at times i think one of the nice things about this year's race was everything really did go so smoothly that it never got to that point where it felt like it was you know this this huge burden for anybody i don't think and um you know we've had <laughs> we've had races in the past um particularly in the first couple of years of the race where it was you know it was like a nightmare at times because you know it was very small staff and we were having you know a variety of things that were happening whether it was a you know a spot tracker um not working or a uh crew getting lost trying to find their paddler or you know all these different things you know issues at a portage and um and this year was not like that you know this year things were pretty smooth and the weather was great and um and it just it made it so much more enjoyable but um you know the other thing that i want to sort of touch on that you mentioned was the volunteers um you know i think it was in in creating the race you know going on five years ago um it was really important that we tried to get as much buy-in from the people that live in Alabama for this race. You know, I think obviously the race is successful when you have incredible, you know, racers like you and, and all these other people that come and do the race year after year, but it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really have the impact that we want to have if we don't have the people that live in the state you know, feeling some sort of excitement for it and also feeling like they have some sort of ownership of it. And so, you know, the opportunity, whether it's volunteering or just simply coming out and cheering on the racers and the crews as they're moving down the river trail was something that has taken time to build. But I think we've crossed that threshold now and we see that there are just so many people along, you know, an entire state that are um you know that are getting really into the race and and um 
you know, there's there's every year there's just stories from racers and crews about, you know, their encounters with different people and, and the excitement level that they had, you know, coming out to some random bridge literally in the middle of nowhere. And it's all because they were following along on the tracking map and uh, figuring out exactly when they needed to show up to see, you know, a racer come by. And so um, and so that's all really important. And that's where we get our volunteers. You know, people get really excited and they watch the race. And then the next year they want to be a part of the race. And so, um, you know, so that's been something that's been just really awesome to see is people just really, you know, getting exciting, excited about it and feeling like it's it's theirs. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And it was really fun, not only seeing new volunteers, but also seeing, you know, repeat volunteers and people, uh, you know, like myself. And um, so there was Julie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And who else do we have? Paul Cox. Um, so racers, you know, people that have raced the race before coming back and volunteering, which I think is good, too, because then it's like we we know a little bit more about how the racers are feeling when they come in <laughs> and how to approach them. Yeah. And I'm sure you know, some of them got annoyed with me. I'm like, hold on for a second. I'm going to put a camera in your face. <laughs> no, I don't think they get annoyed about that at all. In fact, you know, I think that that's something that, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in our ability to, um, you know, to really sort of prop up our, our racers in this race. Um, one of the benefits of being a smaller race in terms of the number of boats is that we can give good attention to each person that's racing in the race. Um, and that's, that's super important. And obviously, you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier about having to, you know, to to film some of them in the middle of nowhere and then get somewhere where you can get on cell service so that you can upload videos. Well, you know, you're not just doing that for, um, you know, the leaders of the race. You know, you're doing that for everybody. And, and that's, you know, I would say that's pretty unique within our sport. Um, we we have the luxury of being able to get out there and and see everybody throughout the race but also we have the luxury of being able to actually you know promote them and talk about them for the you know for the full time that they're there and i think that that just creates um you know i I think that not only creates a sense of excitement for people that are following along but i think it also creates a, a more you know family style feel for racers um, when they do the race, they do truly feel like they're a part of the race and not just another number going down and, and, and finishing the route. Um, and then kind of then having to tell their story to the world, you know, we're, we're doing our best to sort of tell each racer's story as it's, as it's going along. And so, um, you know, so I think that that's just, that's something that, I have loved and and want to continue to grow. And it works really well when you have a racer that isn't racing that year, like you did this year or like Ryan Gilligan did last year, you know, have somebody that has, you know, experience with the race going out there and talking to the racers and, and, and filming them and things like that. They're, they tend to, 
get really excited when one of their own is is the person um, you know filming them. So I think that works out really well. Absolutely, I agree. So with that being said, next year is the fifth annual, which is really exciting. I know that's a big deal uh, for any race. Uh, any any plans that you can share, or is there going to be anything special or different? Yeah, I mean, what I can tell you, there's a there's a couple of of minor, I would say, adjustments to the race itself, um, and then specifically to the fifth year anniversary. Um, so the adjustments, so people that have some uh, familiarity with the race you know it's always been 20 boats um, that we allow into the race each year and um, the race always sells out uh, pretty much immediately and then you know attrition happens naturally throughout the year people um, people's lives change or they get injured or they didn't actually train or you know lots of things happen so you you never have exactly the number of boats that that signed up but Mm -hmm. Um, this year, uh, I changed the way that we're going to do registration a little bit this year and, um, it'll be 21 boats and it'll be spread evenly across the three categories. So there won't be a, a wild card category that existed in the past. Um, it'll just be seven slots per category. Uh, so male solo, female solo and in tandem. And, um, you know, those might change as people drop out and people come on the wait list. But, you know, the the goal is to get an even seven per category uh, to uh, to be signed up for the race. And so the biggest reason that I changed that was wild card for whatever reason, just kind of threw people off. <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't really sort of grasp what it meant to be signing up in the wild card category and it didn't mean anything it it was simply there so that i could get since three doesn't divide evenly with 20 um you know i was uh, now i can just eliminate that category and just say well there's there's 21 votes um and so that's that's kind of a you know a big change i have added some qualifying races um and i have tweaked um some of the requirements for one of the existing qualifying races so that's all on uh the website on al650.com for anybody that wants to go see that um and i've moved registration date up into um into november for this year uh, for the race for next year so instead of it being on january 1 like it historically has been uh, i've moved it up to november 1st uh, for this year. So, um, that's coming up next, that's Tuesday. coming up. That's right. That's right. So, uh, by the time people hear this, uh, it may already be sold out, but, um, yeah, so that's sort of the, the main changes to the actual race itself. But for, for the fifth anniversary, I think it's pretty important that we, you know, that we treat it a little bit differently. So I, I'm not going to get into very specific details. I do want some, some things to be a surprise, but, um, you know, we're, we're certainly going to, uh, you know, we're certainly going to recognize the racers in an even grander fashion, uh, for the fifth anniversary. And, um, you know, we might have something special for the overall winners as well. In addition to what they already get, uh, it's already kind of pretty nice to, to win this race, but, 
um, you know, there's probably going to be some things that we're going to do that are going to be just a little bit, uh, you know, more grand than they they have been um, in the past. And so that's going to you'll kind of hear more about that as as we're getting closer to the race next year. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it a little bit of a secret for now. But uh, <laughs> but but you're right. I think that's important. A lot of races don't make it to the fifth year. So, um, you know, so I think that that's a um, that's an exciting thing. And uh, we want to, you know, we want to recognize it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait. So speaking about races, you got a new one coming up. I want to talk about that. You had mentioned earlier, Last Paddler Standing, I believe, uh, starts December 3rd. That's right. Yeah. Last Paddler Standing um, down in Sarasota, Florida. It's a uh, an endurance uh, paddleboard race that is a good bit different than any other race that's out there. It's a race that's focused on uh, physical and mental fortitude and strategy more than it is about speed and power. So, um, so yeah, so it's coming up December 3rd and it's taking place at Nathan Benderson park, which is um, one of the, probably one of the two, most well-known rowing facilities uh in the in the country um they do a lot of the the club uh rowing championships and and dragon boat championships and things like that and so it's a it's a it's a park that uh has a about as controlled a setting as you can have in terms of um the water and and access to it and things like that and so it was a, an ideal spot to put on a race like this. Yeah, it sounds really intense. I mean, I come from a stand-up paddleboard background, so I know how different it is than being able to sit down. I mean, stand-up paddleboarding really uses every single muscle in your body from the tip of your head to the tips of your toes. I mean, it's really nuts. So, um, I would have loved to do this race if I was still, you know, in that sport. Um, but yeah, I can't looking back, I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine getting back on a stand up and doing that. It sounds really intense. And, you know, most races, most endurance races are about, um, you know, that there's a reason they call them endurance races. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to me because it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a mind trick when you think about it, because you've got that loop that's, you know, what, what is it? Three, 3.3 miles, 3.33 miles. Yeah. And so when you think about it, you know, just right off the bat, you're thinking, oh, 3.33 miles. Okay. That's a quick sprint. I'll just sprint it. You know, I have an hour to do it. I'll just go fast, get it over with and then rest or whatever. But it's like, it all, it's almost like it looks like a sprint, but then you have to think about it like it's not a sprint, you know? Exactly. No, I think you're, you're definitely touching on something, which is, which I think is, uh, a lot of people have as a misconception and, um, and I think a lot of the racers that are doing it will quickly learn this on the spot, which is, um, just because you can go fast, just because you can easily com complete the loop in a, in a quicker time, doesn't mean that that's necessarily an advantage to you overall in the race. Um, 
So, you know, this 3.33 mile long loop has to be completed within an hour time frame. And so it starts at the top of the hour uh, and you finish that loop. And then however much time you have when you finish that loop is basically your off water time before the loop starts again at the top of the next hour. And so with 3.33 miles on a good board with somebody who paddles a lot, let's just say that that's a 30 to 35 minute uh, loop if you were, you know, if you're putting some effort into it. Um, so you could bank 25 minutes of time to rest, to eat, to relax, and then do it again. But that 25 minutes off water is not necessarily more beneficial than 10 minutes off water and having taken that that loop 50 minutes to do where you don't put in very much effort at all so you know the strategy that comes into play is what's that optimal amount of time that i can um that i can do the loop and not exert too much energy at but yet have enough time off water to rest to eat uh, but also conversely you know when you're doing this is that off water time a bigger hindrance to you uh, because you're having to do it every single time uh, you can't stay on the water during you know once your your loop is over you have to come off water and so the start stop process happens non-stop during this race so you know how much do you want to actually be sitting there and then having to restart again so um, I think that that's going to be something that's really going to be interesting to see what each racer's strategy is throughout this, how long they uh, incorporate a fast loop versus doing slow loops, and uh, how often do they choose to eat um, or, or even try to get a power nap in if they, if they do a faster loop. And so, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how it all plays out. Yeah, I see. I mean, I'm looking at the start list. So you got a good start list there. And yeah. I think it's 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 interesting because I mean, I don't know a lot a lot of these people because I'm not in the stand up world anymore. But I, I do see Scott based. Hopefully I'm saying his last name correctly. Um, yeah, Scott's. Um, so, you know, Scott's kind of well known. And this is sort of this comes to the reason why uh, I initially wanted to create the race, which is. Um, in doing Great Alabama 650, one of the things that has been difficult for me is getting these endurance paddleboarders to come do the race. Um, and Scott is the only person who has ever attempted the race as as primarily, uh, you know, a, a stand-up guy. And so, I mean, obviously, everybody knows you from your... Uh, your your stand up uh, section within the uh, the rapids, uh, <laughs> it's it's like it became world known that there was a paddleboarder doing the <laughs> 650 from from you doing uh, the section on the on the inflatable. But um, but no, you know that's been that's been a little bit of a difficulty is getting people to do the 650, and um, 
And I think that's for a variety of reasons. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a super hard race and it would be really hard to finish that within the 10 day timeframe on a board, but it is doable. And, um, and so last paddler standing came about because I really wanted to get in front of all of these, uh, you know, these, these long distance, um, you know, racers that were using a board and, you know, maybe just kind of put the, the bug in their, their ear that this was, you know, that doing the 650 was possible. And so creating a race specifically for them that was different and, um, and really highlighted endurance and not so much speed, but like just the, you know, the need for endurance was kind of, you know, selfishly my way to, to get in front of a lot of them in one spot. Um, and so, yeah, so it's great, you know, having Scott in, in that lineup is great. Uh, he is certainly well known within the, um, the endurance sub world, but you know, you got a guy in there like Brendan Prince. I mean, he's the current international sup man of the year. Uh, he just completed the entire circumnavigation of, um, the United Kingdom, including Northern Ireland, where he went through one of the, um, uh, he had to basically go through the lock on land uh, in order to be able to do that circumnavigation. So that's currently the longest circumnavigation that's ever occurred uh, on a board. And so he's the, he's coming over from the UK. Uh, we have Jorin Jorinsson from Sweden, who's a well-known um, endurance racer as well. He just finished uh, Yukon River Quest this summer. Um, you know, we've got, uh, oh goodness, um, we've got, uh, well, we got Bobby Johnson in the race, the two-time overall Great Alabama 650 uh, finisher, who's a surf ski guy that is going to see what he can do on a board it's not his, uh, <laughs> i'm so excited to see yeah. it i just can't wait <laughs> yeah it's um it should be interesting and and i think that that's again that's a little bit of a testament to this the style of the race is more so about your your ability your ability to endure than it is about your technique as a paddleboarder and so um I think that he's the type of person that can do well, even though it's not his discipline, because his what I think his superpower is, is his ability to um, to always just be strong and always just be, uh, you know, mentally uh, tough. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of what you need in, in a race that's that's designed like this to uh, to throw a lot of things at you that are. That have nothing to do with the other racers so much and everything to do with what's going on inside of your head yeah i agree it's gonna be gonna be a really interesting race to watch is there some way i mean is this gonna be live or yeah. yep i'm gonna live stream it non-stop awesome. 24 hours a day until it ends um i've got a, a team of commentators um led by Kristen Thomas, who lots of people will know if they follow yeah. um, the SUP world. She's coming in to lead the commentating um, throughout the race. And 
fun. Yeah, she's great, and she she knows a lot of these racers, and uh, she knows what she's talking about. And and I have to have a team to do it because, quite frankly, it becomes a little bit of a endurance uh, event for commentators if they're having to be talking for 24 hours a day for however many days it goes. So, right. um, so yeah, so there's a team of people that are going to be, uh, you know, online throughout the event and talking about it and interviewing racers as they quit, uh, talking about their race and maybe what, uh, you know, what led to them quitting. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, so it should be, it should be a kind of a cool event to, to watch online as well. Um, because obviously we know that, you know, not everybody's going to come do the race, but I think a lot of people also maybe have a little bit of a hard time wrapping their head around the concept. And so it'll be, it'll be good to show it that way and have people maybe be able to understand it a little bit better. Yeah, and then just touching on kind of the rules, I, I was reading through it, and what what happens at the 48-hour mark? So at the 48-hour mark, so the 3.33-mile-long the loop is essentially the, um, the actual distance around the outer edge of the park, and because 3.33 is a distance that could could be quite manageable to do for a very very long period of time i'm talking like days and days and days uh if somebody has the right strategy there there's a need to basically call out <laughs> the people that are really hanging on for a long time here and so at the 48 hour mark uh an additional uh, race buoy will be placed in to create it where the loop becomes essentially five miles in length. And so this means that now you have to do that loop and that one hour loop, um, a five mile distance. And I think we'll probably start to see a lot of people drop out at that point that have been maybe just barely hanging on and so that's gonna cause the attrition and it's gonna become a lot harder i mean you know that like five miles an hour is 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 not necessarily all that easy to do if it was the first loop but now when it's going to be going into your 49th loop uh and all that lack of sleep uh that's that's definitely going to have an impact on on a lot of the racers and so uh, so yeah, so we'll see, you know, again, that's assuming that we get to the 48 hour mark, but, um, uh, if we do, that's, that's what the racers are going to have to endure. Sounds insane. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely I mean, insane. you know, I, I, I would be, you know, I would love to say that I came up with all parts of the concept. I certainly, uh, you know, I certainly can't take credit for for the the overall concept of doing a loop in an hour uh that's something that has existed for a number of years within the ultra running world uh it's often called the backyard ultra and um and so i basically wanted to see how i could do that concept on water and i wanted to you know and really a, a board is like the best um 
you know, the best way to, to do that because it does come down to seconds in some instances. And so the ability to mount and dismount from a board is just simply easier than pretty much anything else. And so if somebody is cutting it close and might not make it in the one hour time period and they're having to come in fast and, and you know, jump on the, the land at the finish, again, that's just, that's, that's quicker with a board. So, um, so yeah, but the concept itself was born out of these ultras, uh, on land for running and, and basically just took it and, and moved it over to water and then tweaked it to make most sense for, for this sport. And, uh, it's been so interesting to see because, um, it is a new concept. It is completely different than anything else in the paddling world. There's just, there's not another race really like it. Uh, and I think it just has been something that's been a little bit more um, of a challenge for some people to, to really be able to, to grasp and understand because there is not a, a great frame of reference within, within our sport uh, for it. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, like I said, again, I'm really excited to watch it and having the ability to watch, I know in, endurance races tend to often not be spectator sports because they're hard to, to follow, yeah. um, which is really cool that, you know, we, we got to, uh, do a lot of media in the Alabama 650. So it's it'll be fun to be able to watch an endurance race and have it be more of a spectator sport. So I'll make sure to provide that link in the bio on this episode, and then I'll also put it, you know, on social media so people can can click and watch and all that stuff. I know I'll be watching. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think you're exactly right. I think that is something that's maybe historically for all endurance sports, not just. Um, you know, not just in our world, uh, it is a difficult thing to to film. There's there's not a ton of money in this, you know. I mean, unless you're Bear Grylls putting on, you know, the world's toughest race show on on Amazon Prime for adventure racers. Outside of that, there's there's not a lot of opportunities to see endurance races on TV or or even online. And so, um, again, what makes this a little more doable from that standpoint is that we have this one specific starting and stopping point where pretty much that's where the action is. And so the filming of this can be done very effectively, uh, you know, from one, maybe two locations um, since the entire race course is literally right there where everything's happening. Um, and so that's that makes it a whole lot easier and and um and so yeah i'm i think i'm i'm really excited to see sort of what the buzz might be coming out of the race in terms of how people watched it awesome so what's next for you as far as i mean every time i talk to you you're always you know you're 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 a busy man you're always doing things you're running events uh what's next for you personally just like what's a personal adventure that you have planned for yourself anything exciting for the rest uh, of this year or next year? Yeah, I'm going to go do a 100-mile running race next week. Um, you say that like it's no big deal. Just 100 miles, <laughs> well, it's no big deal. <laughs> it's, uh, well, that's you know, <laughs> I would say that my my training my training uh, has has taken quite a dip with, 
with um, the rise and all the work that I'm doing, uh, I, I don't I don't show as much time to my my own personal stuff. But uh, I haven't done a hundred miler in, in, in I guess, gosh, probably I haven't done the distance itself in four years and I haven't done a race of that distance in like six years. So, um, you know, so I was starting to feel like I was you know, maybe getting to a point where I wasn't doing as, as many of those things anymore. And I wanted to, to kind of get back to it. So I'm going to go attempt that and see how it goes. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, for me, I think the big thing for me is I still love endurance, uh, things and I, and I'm, I have kind of transitioned as I've gotten older into doing more of the adventure style stuff, uh, more of the personal, um, you know, I would call them, you know, micro adventures, um, around the world. And so I'm always kind of looking for new fun things to go do that are just really personal endeavors more than anything. Um, probably similar to obviously to some of the people that you have on, on this podcast, Cyril is a great example, uh, of that. And, um, so, yeah, so I'm always kind of looking for the next big thing and, and I've started to branch out. I've started to to running is what I've always done, but I've started to do a little bit more on the bike and um, I'm starting to do a little bit more with pack rafting and things like that that are kind of the that's the area of paddling that personally appeals to me. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I'm sure that in 2023 I'm going to have some more adventure style stuff that I'll end up doing. Great. Well, for everyone out there that wants to check out this next race coming up, the last paddler standing December 3rd, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's right. And and I would say if you're in the Florida area, come out. Um, we're going to just be there at Nathan Benderson Park. Uh, so anybody can come out and hang out. Uh, if you're uh, wanting to be put to work, I'll put you to work. I never have a problem asking, <laughs> asking people to, to be a part of the event. So, uh, I'm always, you know, I'm always accepting of anybody that wants to, to, to do any work with me. Uh, it is a lot of fun. Um, so I, I think you can attest to that. We, we do make sure, uh, it is, you have to be very careful though. You might leave with a tattoo. Um, <laughs> And that, so if you're, uh, you know, if you're against, I'm kidding, but, uh, but I'm not kidding. I mean, obviously that is, you know, that is a well-known thing now that apparently 650 staff gets tattoos. So absolutely. Um, yeah. It's not just an, I mean, I guess it's an inside joke turned into a reality. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We yeah, talked you, about that to Cyril cause he's, I, uh, I did the video, uh, chat with him and he said, Oh, I am so happy to see that you do not have a giant sailor anchor on your <laughs> neck. <laughs> a oh, lot of man. people thought that was real. Uh, that was funny. Oh, well, there's there's truth and humor, though. I mean, there, there are some, some real tattoos that came out of it, some more tragic than others. Uh, <laughs> that, that is but we'll, we'll let the people that get bad tattoos tell their own story. So... <laughs> It wasn't me. It wasn't um, me, it was, by it the way. I'm happy with my tattoo. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to talk me. story. And I look forward to seeing you at the next event. Hopefully it's before 
uh, you know, the next year's Alabama 650 because that's not for a, a long while. But um, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you at the other events. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like to get around and go to the other races, um, uh-huh. especially qualifying races for the 650. So I'm sure that I will see you at some of those. And I'm excited that you'll be back on the on the start line for 650 for the fifth year. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm already training. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Not paddling training. I didn't tell you. I don't think I told you this yet. I sold my uh, my OC oh. one. So I'm boatless in Mexico. I I have a strong suspicion that you won't stay boatless for long. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Well, there you have it. It's pretty rare to be able to follow an ultra distance race mile by mile. So being able to do that for the last paddler standing is going to be really unique. If you're interested in getting into ultra distance paddling and or racing, and need help with training, logistics, nutrition, or gear, make sure you check out my coaching packages on my website. I have years of experience and it's my passion to help you succeed. Link to my website is provided in the episode bio. Next year for 2023, I'll be back on the rosters for a few big ultras to reach some serious personal athletic goals. Winter time is approaching fast. So if the cold prevents you from paddling, Make sure you find an alternative to stay happy, healthy, and ready for next season. Until next time, see you on the water.